0: too. Right, let's come to Mark's Gospel chapter 9, and we're going to read the first 13 verses. And he said to them, Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John with him, and led them up a high mountain, where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. The voice came from the cloud, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. They asked him, why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah was come first? Jesus replied to be sure Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man the suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you Elijah has come and they've done to him everything they wish just as it is written about him. Let's pray and then let's reflect on particularly the early verses of that chapter. Heavenly Father, we do pray for your word to come alive to us this morning. We've come from different situations during our week. You know everything about us. But we do thank you that through your Holy Spirit, you're able to minister, to speak to us that which is especially relevant to where we're at Thank you, Lord, that it's your work to do that. And we pray that as the scripture is unfolded to us, Lord, that you would help us in our listening. And I ask you very much to help me as I share. In Jesus' name, Amen. And when I say about looking through Mark 9 to 16, I don't mean to imply we're going to look at every single thing in every chapter. Because we won't do that. So what we're going to highlight this morning is this particular experience that Jesus has with Peter, James, and John, and as it happens, Moses and Elijah turn up for very good measure, and we'll be able to think about that as well in just a moment. I suppose that what it heralds, in some ways, is the phrase that many of you perhaps are familiar with about mountain top experiences. When you talk about the mountain top experience you don't necessarily uh, talk about physical mountain but you talk about as it were a read that today a special time an encounter with God something that is perhaps fairly dramatic it may be very personal but for you it's a highlight and when you think about your Christian life you can go back over a period of time and uh, there are these moments where you say that was so good it could be your baptism. It could be another answer to prayer. It could be a dramatic healing in your life. It it could be a a sense of the presence of God when you felt terribly isolated, terribly alone, and God came to you. But having a mountaintop experience is something that uh, I would venture to say most people have at some time. At least your conversion was a mountaintop experience. Not necessarily emotionally dramatically, but significant that it was the day that you left behind your old life and you came to follow the Lord Jesus. And it seems that uh, this occasion Jesus is looking for Peter, James and John especially to have a mountaintop experience. Now we know there is great significance for him, but as always Jesus is not going to talk about how important it is for him though that is highly significant and it's there, but very much for these three, this is going to be something dramatic, something different, and something they will remember for the rest of their lives. And there's one of phrase in the early verses, it says, where they were all alone. Where they were all alone. Now I know, because of what I've said, that's not going to remain the case forever, But there is this moment, they were alone. And if you like, the key to any mountaintop experience has to be the sense of the ability, the willingness to come before God, to seek God alone. Because that's what makes it really special when you have those incredible moments, however rare they may be, but those incredible moments, God loves me! Jesus died for me! He rose for me! That is so, so different to he died for the world and he rose for all of us. We know that's true, but that moment, it's for me. This is for me. What God has done is for me. This scripture this morning was for me. This time that I've been going through, this is God working in me. They were alone, just for another while, and then this dramatic encounter is about to happen. You don't necessarily have to climb a mountain, but certainly there can be times of getting up away from everything can be an opportunity for God to speak to us and meet with us. And uh, we know that uh, there are a number of Christians over the world who do have their prayer mountains. They do have their places that have been set aside so that they can go and pray. I remember having the privilege uh, in about 1992 of going to South Korea, going to Yongyi Cho's church, and one of the churches that's still, I think, the biggest church in the world numerically. And one of the things that we were able to do was to go up to their prayer mountain. Now, it was very interesting. By the way, I'm not about to describe a pastoral uh, way of working uh, for Lansing Town. But what we did, we met people on their way up to prayer mountain. And we said, well, well, why are you going? And they said, well, we've been having troubles, we've been having problems, and so our pastor has sent us to Pray Mountain. And uh, we're to go up there. How long will you stay? Well, we'll have to stay until God has spoken to us and resolved and shown us what the issue is, how to move forward, and then we'll come down. They know I say it isn't necessarily a strategy that we'll be using here at Lancing Tech. Although the club is quite a nice place to go, uh, and it is a good opportunity, certainly to get away from most things, occasionally the odd snake or dog or whatever. But, But the point is this, time alone, time seeking God, and sometimes we can be depending on others when we should be depending on God. Times we are longing for a word from others when in fact perhaps we should be waiting and saying, but what does the Lord want to say to me. Well, there they are, Peter, James and John, and they're up this mountain, and then suddenly something incredibly dramatic happens. And what happens on that mountain is that they see Jesus, literally, in a light that they have not seen before. Now, we know they'd spent time with Jesus, we know they'd watched Jesus, they'd seen miracles that Jesus had done. There was a lot of things about Jesus that was commending him to them, that there was a tremendous amount of exposure to the reality of the Lord Jesus, but what they had not seen was this glory upon Jesus that came upon him at that time. And that was amazing, that was so, so different to anything else that they had seen or touched before. And for Jesus, of course, it was dramatic, it was special, but that's the Jesus that we'll see in heaven. You know, if you were in Palestine, just over 2,000 years ago, you could walk by Jesus and not know he was there. You definitely won't do that in heaven. There'll be no way that you will be, oh, who's that? You will know exactly who that is. We're going to see the Jesus that John describes in the book of Revelation, the eyes of blazing fire, all of that glory, all of that splendour. We're going to see the Jesus that some of the prophets, like Ezekiel, describe where they describe the Son of Man. We're going to see this glorious, wonderful Jesus, and uh, we will just be full of worship, and uh, worshipping Him, acknowledging Him, honouring Him. uh, The Jesus that we're going to see is something of the Jesus that's there. But, when he was walking around, and when he appeared to be like any other Jew, he was still Jesus. He was still Jesus. And there's that incredible story, isn't there, on the Emmaus Road, where they're walking with Jesus, and they don't realize who he is. And then suddenly the Bible says, their eyes were opened, and they begin to grasp and understand, he, the Saviour, is risen and he's here. And even this morning, you can be sitting here in this building, you can be listening, you can be doing all sorts of things, and you could be working out what you're having for lunch, but you don't have to confess that to me. (laughs) But there are all sorts of things that can be going through your mind, but the risen Jesus is here. And there may not be flashes of light and uh, splendor and glory, but Jesus is able to reveal himself and make himself known to us just where we're at. They saw something of what Jesus already knew in heaven. And just for a few moments, they were on earth. And as Mark's record says, really, they're scared out of their wits. They are (coughs) absolutely petrified. Because this is incredible. This is unique. And again, when we look at the record of revelation of Jesus to certain people at certain times, so often the uh, response is to fall to the ground and to worship him and to honour him. And we're able to do that, whether we see this great glory or not. He is glorious. He is everything the Bible says he is. We can bow down and worship him. And the great thing is, is because he extends his love to us, because he offers us forgiveness for our sins, We are able to approach him without fear. Without that forgiveness, without that covering of his blood, we do well to be totally, totally petrified and and scared. But we don't have to feel like that because he has come to save us. He has come to take away our sin and to bring us to God. So, that's something of what they're seeing. But then... Two other people appear uh, on the mountain, one is Moses and one is Elijah. Now, what are they doing there? We've already said something as to why Peter, James and John were there. They were there to be for a moment alone and then to have this mountaintop, this encounter with Jesus. They were there in a sense part of their discipleship, part of their education following Jesus. They were there for a very specific reason, and we know that Peter is soon going to be a very prominent leader in the church. That James will later, of his stand for Jesus will be beheaded, and that John will be exiled on the island of Patmos. So I'm sure they were very grateful as life's hand was dealt to them, and the persecution, and the problems, and the real pressures they faced. They were thrilled that they could look back at these wonderful times when the Lord Jesus had made himself so real to them. So, what are Moses and Elijah doing there? Well, we must remind ourselves that Moses uh, is no stranger to a mountaintop experience. It's not quite the same, but uh, he had had incredible encounters with God. He'd gone up the mountain, In his case Mount Sinai, we don't know for sure which mountain the transfiguration of Jesus is taking place on, but uh, there he is, uh, Moses (coughs) up the mountain. He's receiving the Ten Commandments, there's thunder and lightning. I'm sure he was pretty scared as well, but what happens to him is most interesting because we know that as the glory of God settles on Moses, his face begins to shine. Now, I'm not saying it shone as brightly as the face of Jesus. I don't think we need to try and work out degrees of shininess. But uh, what we certainly know is that when he came down, his face was so radiant they couldn't look at him. And he put a veil over his face because they could then kind of take in what he was trying to say to them. That was an incredible encounter. And of course, the very precious thing is that his disobedience, his smiting the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Uh, We know Moses had a bit of an anger problem. Uh, We see that right in the early part of the story where he kills the Egyptian slave. And uh, even, it seems, in latter times, although he exercised incredible self-control, known as the meekest man in all the earth. But even the meekest man in all the earth can sometimes lose their cool when people turn up the pressure. And the people of Israel certainly turn up the pressure sometimes with their grumbling and complaining and uh, undermining criticism and all of that. And out of that, God said, Moses, you will not enter the promised land. But what the Lord meant was, you won't lead them into the promised land. However, he does have the promised land. There he is. And here he is, seeing the Saviour, who I believe in a sense, he he kind of had the instinct of a Saviour, a Deliverer, a perfect one who would come and be able to take away our sin. He wouldn't have been calling it Jesus as we do, and yet in his heart, the revelation is there. And then Elijah is there. Well, he again is not a total stranger to a mountaintop experience because he once on Mount Carmel challenged the prophets of Baal to a contest. And as he is on that mountain, I've actually had the privilege of being on that mountain, and uh, as he is there, he is challenging the people of God who keep messing about, going back to other gods, especially Baal, as well trying to serve the living God. And that compromise uh, is something that uh, Elijah is particularly keen to challenge. And if you like, there's one commentary describes it, that uh, Elijah was like the spokesman for God. He said what needed to be said. Now, again, we know he had some weakness as well, and we're not dismissing that, but uh, what we see Is a man of courage. We see a man who's prepared to say what needs to be said. He's a man who, uh, certainly in the early part of his life, he challenges Ahab, and Jezebel is hanging around there too at that time, and he's challenging her as well. And he's prepared to to declare that there's going to be no rain, and then when I speak, there will be rain. He is in tune with God that he can declare things, and they happen. We know he has this incredible experience on Mount Carmel where in challenging the prophets of Baal to send fire down to light the sacrifice that they've made, that having made every physical effort to call upon Baal to send the fire, nothing happens. They've cut themselves, they've fallen to the ground, utterly exhausted. And then Elijah steps up in faith And simply says, Lord, you are God. Would you make yourself known to this people? And fire falls, and the sacrifices consumed, and the awareness of the presence of God is totally overwhelming. And the prophets of Baal, they don't know what to do except run for their lives. And even the people of God are just utterly, utterly shocked to see how God has made himself known. Well, it's great that these people were there. It's great that God sent Moses, gave Moses the law, and Jesus would fulfill the law in every detail. Not just most of it, he kept all of it. And because he kept everything that God requires, when he offered himself as a sacrifice for you and me, we're in this incredible privileged position that though we break Maybe a little of it, maybe all of it. But if we break the law in any way, we're in condemnation before God. And we have a Savior who kept the law, and when we trust in Him, God is prepared to treat us as if we've never broken the law as well. Amazing. That's the grace of God. And Elijah, the spokesman for God, was going to be declaring the power of God and there were those prophets who would come and they would give revelation about the Saviour who would keep the law of God, the Saviour, who would be able to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And there are so many prophecies where we see the Lord Jesus in these statements. And now, Elijah representing the prophets stands on the mountain sees Jesus Christ truly man and truly God, magnificent glorious, standing before them well, amazing experience for Peter, James and John, no doubt about that, when Peter writes his second letter, he refers to the incident, and uh, I'm not surprised anybody would refer to something as amazing as that and uh, we know that Moses is there perhaps for him there's a sense of the grace of God that there he is in the promised land. Elijah is there and we know as well as being very bold and very brave, he faced opposition and he faced hatred and all sorts of uh, stuff thrown at him, but there he is. But of course as we've mentioned throughout the Lord Jesus is there and there's going to be something happening However wonderful what's been happening for Peter, James and John, for Elijah, for Moses. Now the story comes to a climax, so to speak. There's a cloud, there's a cloud. Now we know in the Old Testament there was often a cloud. It was a picture of the presence of God. When the uh, temple was built and uh, was about to be dedicated, the, the cloud descended, the presence of God. The the Shekinah glory, the the whole uh, awareness of the greatness and goodness Resurrection from the dead being, and and they're going to continue to have questions for some time. But what is beginning to kind of sit in their hearts in a deeper and deeper way is Jesus Christ is very special, Jesus Christ is remarkably different. And uh, yeah, we've heard of all the prophets, we've heard of this and that, and uh, we know some of their stories. This is something else. Never seen anything like this. Never seen anyone like this. And they're going to continue their education because they are going to watch Jesus suffer and die. They will see him rise from the dead. I want to encourage us, myself included, let's, let's look to just give God a little more time, maybe. Uh, could be any, any time that's appropriate to you why don't you just give God a little more time and instead of all the prayers and the supplications and the intercessions that are very valuable and very right and good but what about giving God some time even in the coming week where you say Lord I'm not going to ask you for anything except show me your glory reveal yourself." Fresh to me. And uh, I believe God will honour that prayer. He loves to make himself known. But we must create the space and time. <clears throat> well, I say we must. God is gracious, and sometimes when we're rushing around, He still can just sort of uh, wham in. But it's good, as I began with the passage, in the yeah, early bit, they were alone. Give God some space and time to meet with you. And out of that, he knows what God will say and what God will do. Let's pray. Let's even wait now just for a moment. many things that most people